and welcome to Talking Early Years. And our guest this morning is the lovely Dr. Mona Sack from uh, the University of Middlesex. Um, she is indeed a doctor and has been a friend of ours now since 2018 when she first emailed me to ask if she could do some research on leadership. And in the spirit of collaboration, I said yes. Not that I know that we'd end up writing a book together. In fact, editing a book together, writing a book together, and her doing quite a lot of research with, with the LEAF team, and then going on to do more research with not just the LEAF team, but more widely on my big pet topic of babies and babies in nurseries and sort of forgotten little generation. Um, so today we're going to talk about the book we've just recently read, written together called Social Leadership in the Early Years. Actually, that's not what it's called. I should know really the title of our own book. It's actually called Social Leadership in Early Childhood Education and Care. And you know what? We spent quite a long time figuring out the title of that. So that actually was meanable. So that didn't work, did it? Um, and so we're going to look at why we wrote it and um, why we want you to read it, to be honest. And the complexities of leadership because of child, you know, childcare and working with children and early childhood and education, the whole gamut of this, so highly political and so highly kind of central to um, the development of not just children, but the staff and the families and indeed the society. And there's so much research that supports that, yet that message still isn't clear. So I'm going to talk to Munna about the book her thinking on social leadership, her role really as a lecturer in at Middlesex, you know, with developing the next generation of staff for us and the kind of things that she's finding about leadership generally in this kind of post-COVID world. So over to Mona. Lovely to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you for having me, June. So Mona, let's just start. Kind of what sort of motivated you to want to write this book and um, how do you feel about the whole sort of leadership discussion in the world of early childhood the complexities that it sort of drives as well yeah it's a really interesting topic isn't it leadership so I think I think we probably both agree while neither of us being pessimists that we <laughs> are in a messy sector at the moment um, you know, chronic underinvestment, that there is not the value, the recognition, the understanding of early years that there needs to be in society or that would be fair to have in a society. Um, but within that context, there are people doing amazing things in early years. And I think our book in some ways is a celebration of those amazing things that are still happening within the messiness of the early years sector, driven forward by leadership and driven forward, not just by any old kind of leadership, but by this social leadership, by leadership where people put a social purpose, a vision for early years as a vehicle for social change at the heart of everything that they do. And I think, June, you'll agree that we spoke to amazing people uh, in writing the book, so many amazing people around the world um, who are doing incredible things in early years and who really kind of give us hope as a sector about the future of, of early years education. Yes, it's interesting um, that we actually chose to talk to people internationally because sometimes it feels very depressing here in England. It's very interesting for us to have 
responded to and in, kind of engage with an international audience because here in England we sometimes feel overwhelmed by um, depression <laughs> and pessimism because uh, we can get so little traction from a government and the governments before that about the power of early years despite the raft of research that's out there. But there is a, a sort of consistent message that leadership actually drives quality. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Or certainly all the leaders that we spoke to definitely believed that they were driving forward quality and it was why they were getting out of bed every day and doing the long hours that they were putting in and really making the changes um, that they thought would bring about better outcomes for children and a, fair, a fairer world. You know, I think the vision never just stops with the children. It's about children. It's about families. It's about creating this society that is better. And I think that's why the sustainability piece really comes into our work as well, because it is about this, this bigger world. You know, there is, a, there is a small body of research out there, you know, kind of valid, reliable research that shows that leadership in early years does drive up the standards of the culture in which you work and that in turn uh, affects the, the interactions with children and that in turn kind of helps them and, and helps them to develop and to learn and to close the gap um, between children who have a lot and children who have less. Um, it's a small body though and so I think our book is a really kind of interesting fleshing out of that picture and understanding what does that feel like though on the ground from the leader's perspective you know how do they actually see it but also how do they live it day to day and what difference really do they see day to day coming about as a result of their leadership so I think I you know I feel extremely proud of of the contribution that we've made to the field and I hope it's just the tip of the iceberg honestly I think there's so much work to be done around understanding exactly what difference leadership makes. It's as though we all understand it probably does make a really big difference. But now in order to kind of foster the next generation of early years leaders, we need a deeper understanding, a deeper awareness of exactly how it is that leadership makes the difference. That's, a, that's absolutely true. And I guess... Um... Sometimes when you're leading a nursery and you're leading and managing a nursery and, you know, the model we use is that the sort of model we've designed is that, you know, you lead the pedagogy, you lead the parents, you lead the environment, you lead each other and your staff team's development um, and you lead in the community. It's really quite complex, isn't it? And then to try and put a sort of social purpose or social justice lens over the top. Is quite significant. So it means, for example, you choosing to take children who are funded, for example, rather than children who have who can just pay pay the, the the basic costs of the of the nursery. In doing that, you open up a big and deeper um, set of expectations around uh, you know children in need, children with SEND, children from more complex families who operate maybe in areas of high disadvantage. You know you're you're taking decisions that lead you into places that are much more difficult to operate in and to support. So when you think about how 
most leaders I know, and uh, over the years I've met a fair few, they tend to be quite practical people. So they, you know, the running of the thing and the delivery of the thing is the, is what focuses their mind. So there's very little time to step back and actually reflect on the more philosophical elements of the leadership about why they make the decisions they make to do what they do. And I think that was the intention really, wasn't it, of the book to actually give people time to reflect on. In our case, I think we used six sort of six elements that um, began with the committing to the social purpose and then driving a social pedagogy. So the social became a kind of element of the way you do leadership around here. So while we never thought that it was not unknown or never done, it was about amplifying it and making it explicit, I think, in the busy day of the of the leader. And I think, I, you know, we wrote these chapters like collaborative innovation, investing in others' leaderships, facilitating powerful conversations and sowing the seeds of sustainability, which you've already referenced. But when you think about those, you know, how, in a way, how when you're thinking with your students in, in Middlesex University, you know, how do you kind of think about those elements in relation to preparing them for their own leadership? Because we're not talking here necessarily also about leaders and managers in charge. We're also talking about leaders and managers in the room or of the function or of the team or whatever it is, because it's not just a peak kind of hierarchical traditional method is it is a much more flat hierarchy with leadership kind of filtering through absolutely yeah we took a really inclusive stance on leadership and I think the hope in the future is to be even more inclusive isn't it June that actually you can think about a kind of distributed leadership where you might not even be a room leader you might be an apprentice but actually you're still demonstrating leadership in 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 various ways I think it's really interesting you touched on there's a balance, isn't there, between vision and practice and the the kind of practicalities of leading day to day. And that's why I like the elements of, of the model, because I think we're trying to encourage leaders to be bouncing back and forth between the vision and the practicalities and, and suggesting that maybe you can't be a social leader in early childhood without both of those working so you can't just have the lovely vision of you know this is my social purpose I want the world to be a better place I want children to be able to access amazing quality early childhood education whenever their families want them to and and actually in ways that are going to massively advance them and, and and support their families as well you know you can have that incredible vision but so what if you can't actually make it happen within this really quite messy and fragmented sector? And so there is a tall order here of taking this vision and standing by it and committing to it and trying to infuse everything you do with that vision, but also being prepared to kind of wade into how do I make this happen in the context of an organization, whether that organization is the entire organization whether it is a room within a nursery whether it is one nursery across a nursery group you know whatever level you're talking about how are you going to actually make that vision a reality and so you know that the collaborative innovation is a good example where we're saying actually you need to do things differently in order to make that social purpose a reality you've got to foster a particular kind of culture 
within the setting where where you're based or and where you're leading if you really want to see these changes coming about it's not just enough to kind of say the statement you know you also have to do the practices you also have to live out your day uh, in a particular way if you really want to embody social leadership that's true and I wonder what your favorite chapter was when you were when we were writing this because some chapters were harder than others which which would you say was one of your favorites and, and kind of why did that really kind of set you on fire 100% it was the investing in others leadership I felt like that chapter just kind of wrote itself because we'd done these amazing interviews which really inspired me most when we spoke to people who just saw every single opportunity they could to kind of give their leadership away almost to kind of support the next generation of leaders but not necessarily because they wanted to see the next generation of leaders emerging but because they knew that the best way to lead is to actually enable everybody to be leading at the same time and so it was the really practical grounded examples of you know we're in a team meeting I could just say let's all do this now But actually, I know as a social leader that that's going to have a lot less traction than if I opened up the floor to ideas and thoughts and feelings about how we might do something differently. And then if I enable people to take ownership of particular uh, roles or responsibilities or or monitoring, you know, and this is where action research and, and the framework of action research can be particularly useful. But that was I found that really inspiring because we spoke to some people with just so much conviction that what you have to do in order to be a good leader is really to give your leadership away. And that really struck me. That's so true, actually. And and when we were interviewing people just for the uh, audience, really, uh, just tell us a bit about one of the one or two of the things that really captured your like your heart, I guess, when you were talking to some people? Because I know there were one or two people that really, really got you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first person that comes to mind is Nicole. I knew you'd say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who is now, you know, an Icelandic politician. Yeah. Um, But her background and her love and her passion is early years. And there were so many things that she said in, in her interview that I come back to you know, literally on a daily basis in my mind. So she spoke with such passion about cultural humility that, you know, the the way that you connect with with your staff at, at any level is that you're really, you've got to demonstrate cultural humility. And so this is very much comes back to that giving your leadership away. So she was the ultimate kind of embodiment of that, that rather than saying, this is how we're going to do it, she would kind of talk to herself and and mentor herself to try and go into any situation with colleagues with a lot more cultural humility, trying to understand how are they thinking about what they're doing at the moment? Why are they thinking about it in that way? Yes, we do need to move things on and we do need to get to a particular place, but that we can actually kind of do that together. We can get to that place together. I don't need to force it there. 
Um, and I loved, I love that she had to say that. The other thing that really stayed with me from that interview was the celebration really of early years as the place where everybody goes to learn. So it's, yes, it's about the children, but it's also where the families go to learn. And it's also where the staff go to learn that you have to create this kind of really buzzy hub of just learning for everybody. And I think that's the kind of, you know, when we say social purpose, that's the kind of vision that, that the leaders we spoke to were, were conjuring in their minds. And that's the thing that they were kept on coming back to with every single decision that they were taking day to day. And um, if you were to kind of give your students, uh, you know, sort of a few sort of steps of advice or, you know, three or five things you would say to them that you've kind of learned from, from writing this book and having the opportunity to just sort of step back and see the world through other people's eyes, what would your what would your advice be? Or indeed, what are you actually saying to them right now in preparation for their own role as leaders? Particularly, we are really struggling with staff at the moment. It's really tough out there for settings. Uh, you know, at LEAF alone, we have over 150 vacancies. A situation in our lifetime we've never had to deal with. And, and many people who are coming to work with us um, are just a little terrified of the reality of work once they get in there. Um, and, and I think not really prepared for it and a bit scared by it. Um, and so there's a high turnover of staff. I guess, surprised by the kind of emotional and physical demands of working with small children. That's both a positive and a negative, I guess, you know, in terms of it's a positive, it's emotionally very, very rewarding. There's nothing like the love of a child to make you feel important and, and, and supported. Um, but all, and physically, if you use it to your advantage, you can be very fit for a very long time, especially if you read one of the other books <laughs> we've written about uh, well-being. But on the other hand, it is also emotionally draining. And certainly post-COVID, we've seen a higher level of need, both from children and parents. And we also know that lots of uh, courses have not had a practical input. So, you know, we know students are going into um a setting and they have never actually been in a setting and they've done their qualifications So the world of the book and the case studies and the safety of being uh, you know on a zoom call <laughs> and the reality of being you know there in in the middle of the melee uh is a completely different experience so just to you know just to conclude what how how do you kind of reconcile the kind of messaging we're trying to give in that book with the kind of reality that all of the settings across, actually across the world. I was talking to friends of mine in Australia um, and in Canada, and they're both, they're also experiencing this. So it's not just a UK thing. It's a, it's a kind of worldwide response to the pandemic. What do you think you'd be saying to them to encourage them? It's a great question, June. And I think I think at the moment we do a lot of work with our students around vision and I'm I'm a big fan of that. I want them all to have this vision as they go out into the world. But the, the problem with that is that so often the reality, especially when you're new to a role, 
it doesn't look like the vision. So you have these two things. You have the vision that you created, you're really excited about. And then you have this messy reality um, that seems to kind of slap you around the face quite a few times every day. Um, And you think, well, these two things are irreconcilable. I must leave. I must move on. This job isn't for me. The vision must be a load of rubbish. Uh, and And you leave in a really demoralized state. And I, I think that's that's what we're seeing among a lot of individuals at the moment. I think the job of people like me is to create a much more realistic framework to surround that vision. To say basically like in the same way that a baby has a secure base and then they explore from that secure base and then they come back to the secure base. That almost like the vision and the reality are like that. The vision is your secure base. You keep on coming back to it. You've got to keep on coming back to it. And then you've got to kind of go out into the world. And when you encounter that kind of uh, difficulty, resistance, pain, upset, distress, um, you know, whatever it is that you're encountering that's difficult, you, you come back, you come back to that vision and you reconnect with it. And I think what we need to do as people that prepare the workforce is to really help uh, individuals to expect that there's going to be that tension and that interplay. And, and I think I really feel that that's the heart of resilience is that you're, you've got your secure base and you've, you're ready to explore. You go back to your secure base and then you go and explore again. That's how we think about resilience for very, very young children. And I think it's how we also need to think about our staff at the moment too. It's a great message to anyone out there then listening that actually you have to create a kind of Uh, a kind of nest of empathy and kindness in your setting so that actually that is the safest place people can start to explore from. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's so, you can see that physically, I feel in some settings, you see it in the interactions between staff, but you also just see it in the kind of messaging of the environment. You know, that sense of this is this is a safe place for you. And I think the you is, yes, it's the children, but it's also the staff. And so so negative things can happen. Difficult things can happen. But you are safe. Yes, I think on that note, I'm going to thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk about this. I'm going to um, recommend this book to anyone who's interested in reading about leadership from a social purpose perspective and seeing it through the lens of uh, sort of social justice and making a difference because anyone who works with small children is making a difference. Um, And if you if you did, uh, indeed, if you wanted to purchase it, you could go on Amazon and I would really please ask you to just then click the star on the review because that then makes it much more accessible to other people. Um, And so again, thank you very much to Mona and it's nice to catch up. I suspect we'll probably be writing more together at some point. Um, And thank you everybody for listening and I look forward to having another podcast with you soon. you for joining me today if you like what you heard please share it or check us out on our website leaf.org.uk